1: See, that's what the children of Israel had gotten caught into. We saw it in uh, chapter 7, verse 2 and 3. And now we see right here in, in verse 14. They did not ask counsel of the Lord. They didn't ask. They should have. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. You see, the devil has learned a wonderful lesson over the years. He can attack the church and he can barrage the church. He can do all kinds of things, but one thing he's learned is to join the church.
0: Today on Truth in Christ, the scripture says they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Welcome to our Bible study. Today we learn that the Gibeonite deception was clever and therefore powerful. But the real problem was that Joshua and the leaders of Israel never sought the Lord. This showed they trusted their senses instead of the Lord. They walked by sight, not by faith. How much trouble do we find ourselves in for this very reason by not seeking the counsel of the Lord? And now let's open our Bibles to the book of Joshua chapter 9, starting in verse 14, and follow along with Pastor Rob.
1: Imagine it only takes a little bit, doesn't it? And then this is the this is kind of proof text to the verse a little leaven leavens the whole lump because once you start living with the people and you realize, you know, these people aren't so bad, <laughs> next thing you know, Another, another group of people come in are doing the same thing. Well, you know what? They're not so bad. We'll just destroy half of them, but we'll let the others free. We'll let them stay. Maybe they, can, maybe they can comb our hair for us. These guys will be you know cutting wood and fetching water for us. Maybe we can have them do our manicures or something. Maybe they can serve us. But you remember, David, this is one of the wonderful things I love about David, his dependence on the Lord. We're not going to go there and read the whole thing, but in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 17 through 25, David, early in his reign, remember, he goes up to the Philistines, and David inquired of the Lord in verse 19 of that chapter, and he says, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand, Lord? And the Lord said to David, go up, I will doubtless deliver them into your hand. And so David goes up, and the very next, uh, it wasn't long after that, that the Philistines came in the same place again, and David naturally would think, well, let's just do the same thing we did before. Because God wanted it. To, he told us he was going to root out the Philistines. we already victorious doing it one time. Let's just do it again. Let's just repeat it. But David, I love this about him. He didn't just rely on that. It says, therefore, David inquired of the Lord again. And he said, you shall not go up. God told him, don't go up, David, this time like you did before. Instead, circle around behind them and come upon them in front of uh, and come upon them in front of the mulberry tree. So the battle plan was completely different. What would have happened if David had not o- not obeyed? And see, this is exactly what prayer is all about. This is what prayer is. We, we, we can get so independent, and we can think that just because we've done something and we're successful before, that we can just do it again the exact same way. And God has to bless it because it was he, he was involved in the first time. I know he was, so if I just do it again, it'll be fine. Well, it's not always that clear-cut, is it? God's will is not always like that. Sometimes there's alternate directions. Sometimes there is other things that God wants to do. And he knows, again, the mind of your enemy. He's got great intelligence. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, if God is on your side, if God before us, who can be against us? You know, sometimes I think we, we gloss over that verse so easily And all we need to do is do the simple thing and just go to him and pray and say, God, I'm planning on doing this today, but if it is not your will, Lord, frustrate my plans. Give me an alternate plan. Help me to know what to do here, Lord. I don't know what to do. I've been in situations like that myself, and and I've seen him do things that I, I wouldn't have thought of, honestly. I wouldn't even have considered. And there have been other times where I've made plenty of mistakes, thinking I know how to do this, I've done it before, and I go and it doesn't work. When will I finally get it? when will you finally get it? Maybe you're obedient. Maybe you're more obedient than I am, but sometimes I find that my heart is just, I got too much experience, and I know how to do certain things. And God says, well, you can do it that way, but I got a better plan. You don't understand something. You know, it's sort of like preparing a message. You know, sometimes on Sunday morning, I'll prepare something, and I'm standing up there, and I got uh, an idea of where I'm going to go. And right in the middle of the message, the Lord just brings me off into somewhere else. Didn't even plan on it. Wasn't even considering going there. Have no idea why I'm going there. And then someone comes up after the service and says, you know what, when you said this very thing, it, you know, it just, I fell apart because it reminded me of something that blah, blah, blah. And they, they go on and I'm just like, oh man. <laughs> you know, Lord, and you, you just, you, you took me someplace. I don't even know where I was going And you did something, and 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 it touches that person because you know who's in the room. Does he not know who's in the room? And so when things like that happen, and see, that's why we pray. That's why we pray. We don't depend on our own agenda too much. We want to be prepared, but we want to make sure that any time we can invite God to interrupt our plans. Because it is very important. In fact, there's a book by um, J. Edwin Orr. It's called Full Surrender. And I'd like to read to you just a little bit, a little paragraph about the neglect of prayer. It says, "Prayerlessness is another sin of omission. It is a sort of creeping paralysis which begins in neglect of prayer and ends in utter prayerlessness. Prayerlessness is the root sin." By neglect of prayer, a Christian becomes prey to a hundred vices. All sorts of creeping things crawl underneath the heavy stone of neglect, which once removed causes them to scurry out of the sunshine of fellowship with God. By neglecting prayer, a Christian robs himself of the counsel of God, quenches the spirit, hinders his growth in Christ. He finds it easier in prayerlessness to harden his heart against his brother and his neighbor, and the only cure for prayerlessness is prayer. Such prayer should begin with the confession of the sin of prayerlessness. If the prayerless one still finds it hard to pray, then he should start to praise God for his many wonderful benefits— And if praise does not loosen his tongue, then he should confess the sin of ingratitude. Isn't that amazing? But see, that's what the children of Israel had gotten caught into. We saw in uh, chapter 7, verse 2 and 3, and now we see right here in, in verse 14, they did not ask counsel of the Lord. They didn't ask. They should have. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. You see, the devil has learned a wonderful lesson over the years. He can attack the church, and he can barrage the church. He can do all kinds of things, but one thing he's learned is to join the church. And actually, not only does he join the church, he still barrages it, and he still beats on it from without, but then he loves to infiltrate. And we see that all around in our country today. The devil is more than happy to put money in the offering box. He's more than happy to have men and leadership that have not the spirit of God. He's more than happy to have a congregation filled with people who have no desire really for the things of God. I'm so glad that you guys are not that way. You guys love Jesus, and you're here because you love him, and I'm here because I love him. I love his word, and I love to share it with you. But there's a danger of making oaths or vows. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it says, Walk prudently when you go into the house of God and draw near to hear, rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they, that they do evil. And do not be rash with your mouth. And let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few." For a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. And here it is in verse 4. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better to not vow than to vow and not to pay. And there are plenty of places in the scripture that talk about vows. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21, again, Joshua has made this vow against, with his enemy with the enemy that God had you know, told them about. And now they're like this. Now they're simpatico. Now they're working together. Deuteronomy chapter 23, beginning in verse 21, says this, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. But if you abstain, notice, this is what I like, because I try not to make vows like this. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. That which has gone from your lips you shall keep and perform, for you voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So it's better not to vow than to make a vow. I remember uh, back in 1992, 1991-92, I made a vow to the Lord, and I didn't follow through with it. Though I, I, you may have heard this story before, but it, but it, it, it's really um, important to me because it, it it just it fits along with this whole thing. Because before I didn't even know Christ. I was like 21 years old, 20 or 21, and I was um, uh, in this competition. It was for uh, it was a concerto competition with the um, Southwest Florida Symphony. And if you won the competition, you uh, played the concerto with the symphony at Barbara B Mann Hall, and it's you know in front of quite a few people, and it was on radio. It was te- uh, uh, on, uh, on the radio, and it was a nice cash reward and everything. And I, I prayed, and I said, Lord, if you would allow me to win this, I'll give my life to you. And I really meant it, and I won. <laughs> I was the first guitar player, classical guitarist, in the history of the uh, competition to win it. And And so I did, and then I went on my merry way with my cash and, you know, all that stuff. And and it wasn't uh, probably four years, a couple of years after that, the Lord finally got a hold of me. And he's like, Rob, I remember the vow you made. Do you remember the vow you made? You made a vow that if you, would, if, if you would allow me, you know, you to win this competition, and look, I did. Now I want a return. I want your heart. And he got it. He got it. So glad that he made sure that he, even when I was faithless, he was faithful. He's always faithful. Is he faithful to you? He'll never leave you. In Numbers chapter 30, verses 1 through 8, you can read more about that. In verse 16, it says, And it happened at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. And so then the children of Israel journeyed, and they came to their the, the cities uh, on the third day, now their cities were Gibeon, Shephira, Baroth, and Kirjath-Jerim. And so that's where those cities are, right over here. And you can see how close to Ai they were. And this is the southern part as they are making their southern campaign. But verse 18, it says, But the children of Israel did not attack them, because the rulers of the congregation, notice, they'd sworn, they'd made a vow to them by the Lord God of Israel, and all the con- congregation complained against the rulers." And then all the rulers said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. And and I love what it says in Psalm 15, because it says, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? This is a Psalm of David. Who may dwell in your holy hill? And here's the answer. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart, he who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. But he honors those who fear the Lord. And here's the verse, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That's somebody who makes a vow and then afterwards decides that it really wasn't really good for them, but they go through it anyway because they made the vow. To their own hurt they do it because it's the right thing to do. And that's exactly what happened to the children of Israel. He said, verse 20, this, is, this we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. So the children of Israel knew that once they made this, this vow, they had to continue with it and not go back on their promise because they invoked God's name in it. They invoke God's name in it. And they didn't have to do any of that. If they would have only inquired of the Lord when these guys came to them, all it would have taken was Joshua and the the elders that night when those guys came to them. That very night, all they had to do was have a prayer service and just say, Lord, these men came to us. Is this the real deal? Is this the real deal? But there's nothing. And see, they're learning the lesson again. And aren't you encouraged by this? Because how often do we have to learn the lesson the second, the third, the fourth time, or maybe even the fiftieth, the seventieth, the three hundredth and fiftieth time? If you're like me, I make those mistakes. Is God not only the God of the first and the second chance? Oh, He's He's so much more than that. Aren't you glad? If He held me accountable for all the times that I've broken. Vows and promises, I wouldn't be standing. Verse 21, and the rulers said, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. So verse 22, then Joshua called for them and he spoke to them saying, why have you deceived us now that you've tricked us? And see, that's just like the enemy. That's what he does. Again, he is a deceiver. He is a liar. And when anything that God is doing, whenever God is doing anything, there are always going to be those who are going to deceive and going to create division. They're going to create uh, schisms and problems and this is a big wrinkle now because now they got the very enemies that they were supposed to destroy now they're mingling with them now therefore he told them you are accursed you Gibeonites and none of you shall be freed from being slaves woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God and notice I love the fact that they made them water you know cutters of wood and and, and carriers of water it kind of kept them busy Maybe that was the saving grace in the whole thing. Maybe they didn't have time to mingle with the rest of the children of Israel because they're busy doing the things that they were supposed to do in order to worship for the Israelites to worship God. Maybe that was the saving grace. They weren't just allowed to just mingle among them like normal and, and, and get them to worship their, their gods. No, they're, they're, they're like, no, you're gonna, we're going to worship our God and you're going to help us do it. You're going to be the one getting the wood for the fire for the altar. You're going to be the one that's going to bring in the water for us. There's wisdom even in that, and probably that was a saving grace. Maybe things would have been much worse if they hadn't have given them a job like that to do. Verse 24, so they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you, therefore we were very much afraid for our lives because of you and have done this thing. No kidding. And I don't blame them, honestly, because if I were in their shoes, I would have done the same thing. And I think you would have, too. Because when you're up against certain death, you will do anything. Is Is that not true? I mean, within a certain, you know, with certain reason. I mean, if somebody comes up and tells you, you know, you know, deny Christ and you'll live. I hope I'm never in that situation, but I hope I would just say, you know what, then pull the trigger. Because I'm not going to deny him. How can I deny him who didn't deny me? But under normal circumstances, aren't you willing to work, <laughs> to live? Most people are. So they were... And now here we are, verse 25, in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them, and he delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, so they did not kill him. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. And so it's very interesting. And, you know, just as a side note, this is really kind of interesting because the Gabeans, evidently, there, there's still a lot that I don't know, but one of the things that I find very interesting is when the children of Israel, hundreds of years after this event, we're talking probably, uh, probably 600 years, 600 or more years into the future, Judah and Benjamin would be taken captive to Babylon, right? and then at the, at the end of that 70 year captivity they come back and it's recorded for us in Nehemiah chapter 7 verses 4 through 6 this is really interesting it says, Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not rebuilt. So then my God put it into my heart, Nehemiah is speaking here, to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people, that they might register by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of those who had come up in the first return and found written in it. And and this is what it was written. It says, these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away, and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his city. And there's a whole list of them there. And the wonderful thing is in verse 25, it says, The sons of Gibeon were ninety-five. I find it interesting that these, these, this people group that they were supposed to destroy, hundreds of years later, they're going into captivity because they're part of Judah. They're part of Benjamin. They're, they're like one, and so they, they, they do. They get taken to captivity, and they desired to return back to Jerusalem, 95 of them. Who knows how many others there were that stayed in Babylon, but these, 95, decided, we love what is happening here. We're going to return. We're going to return with the children of God because we see the blessing of God. We see the blessing of God, and we are blessed when we are with the children of God. Isn't that true? As a child of God, you are blessed, and those who are around you, that's why in the Bible it talks about a a, a believing spouse still hanging in there with an unbelieving spouse, because the believing spouse, spouse sanctifies the unbelieving spouse. The unbelieving spouse is benefited. They are blessed because they are in the house of a believer, one who is praying for them, praying for the betterment of the home, and praying for their marriage. The unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the believing. And so I just think that's really interesting. But, you know, this is really wonderful because as we get into the next chapter, we're going to see that wonderful instance in history where God causes, as they're going against these five kings that are going to conglomerate together. They're going to they're come together, and they're going to try and defeat Israel. And God is going to allow the sun and the moon, or the sun, to stand still for an entire day. For an entire day, giving them all that daylight to vanquish their enemies. What will God do for you? Will he not withhold and, and change heaven and earth? Will he not stand and, and cause things to, to not move? For his purposes, he did it for them. Is he willing to do it for you? Is he so small? Is he? Is his estimation in our hearts so small that we don't think he can do certain things? Believe me, I believe that God can do anything. If He spoke all the whole world and the universe, and this, that He holds in the span of His hand, He spoke it all into existence. Believe me. Is there any problem that you have that is too small, too large for Him? I don't think there is. Be encouraged tonight. If your heart is downcast, if you've found yourself in a place that you never thought you'd be, know that God loves you. He loves you, and he wants to bless you. He wants to rebuild you. He wants to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. He wants to bless you. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for the... uh, this passage. Lord, it is scary, I confess, Lord, because we see so much of the world infiltrating the church. Father, just as the Gabians, uh used deceit to uh, bamboozle the Israelites and get them into this, this pact, Father, help us to be single in our heart and our mind toward you, Father, May we put aside everything that is not of you, Lord, the things that are uh, against you, the things that we know are wrong, Father, the things that we know, God, have to go. Would we be free to let them go this night, and, Lord, be free of those things, and to, to hold on to you, Lord, and to have you hold us and never let us go, Father. Cleanse our hearts and our minds, Jesus. How we pray that you do that work in us tonight. Bless us as we go from this place, God. Give us a good night's sleep and wake us refreshed tomorrow, ready to serve you, ready to be with you. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for these examples. We thank you for this history that we could learn from. It is written there for our nurture, for our admonition, to instruct us in righteousness. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen.
0: I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140.